0: Legal Discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors, Clan Mel, on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com.
1: And a little later than usual, John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors joins me. Good morning to you, John.
0: Good morning, Fran. How are you?
1: I'm uh, very well indeed. Thank you for your patience this morning, John. John, I was just talking to to Trudy there about, um, uh, you know, the possibility of litigation if somebody picks up COVID while they're in a car or whatever. Are you, do you will there be an avalanche? Do you think of litigation post COVID?
0: Well, I th- I suppose the easy answer to that is that, or not so easy for you, is that if somebody doesn't comply with the COVID requirements, as in the you know, the the basic protocol has been handed out to employers and to various people. And if they don't comply with those protocols, then you're into a situation where they're in a breach of the duty of care to the people that they're working with and are involved with. So under those circumstances, if you look at the, you know, we always, we've often talked about the whole area of liability for negligence and it's grounded on the principle of duty of care to your neighbour. And if the courts look at a situation and they see, for example, if you take, let's not pick on Trudy, but if you take a situation where somebody gets into a car, they're getting a lesson and somebody doesn't clean the car, doesn't take any precautions, doesn't warn them about the risks that are involved, etc. You know, you're into a potential hazardous situation there from a liability point of view. So it will be judged the same way as you would judge any situation pre COVID, i.e. that if there are set guidelines that are to be followed that and if there's a breach of those guidelines then you look to see whether or not if there is a breach, you and, know and if does that it matter result in the an injury, if you know what I mean.
1: And does it matter, John, that those guidelines are not sort of legal guidelines. They're they're just sort of advice in its own way, I suppose.
0: Yeah, but you see the problem with that is like, yes, it's that's a good I mean if you're if you're arguing the position, you're going to argue something like along those lines, these aren't legal guidelines and therefore I don't have to comply with them. But you see the problem with it is that or the thing that's up for discussion with all of these things is that when you're looking at a situation where somebody suffers an injury as a result of a kind of factual position, you start your starting point is, you know, when you're applying the analysis from a legal perspective, you say, Well, you know, is there a duty of care there? Number one, if there is a duty of care there, is there a breach of that duty? Uh, number two, and, you know, does damage result, you know, as you know, is there an injury as a result or damages as a result? So that kind of three-part kind of uh, question or hurdles, if you like, will be applied. So if you look at the way that the courts will look at a situation like that, they look to applying kind of established criteria, Was it reasonably? would it be reasonably expected that somebody would apply these precautions for the safety of somebody? So in other words, the fact that there aren't clear-cut guidelines that are kind of stamped with a legal imprimatur doesn't get you off the hook because it's a bit like I was looking at uh, one of the lads in the office was drafting uh, a legal document which was going to form the basis of the claim. And I said, well, I said, look, first of all, you've got to establish exactly what I'm saying to talk to you about, i.e. is there a duty and what kind of duty is it? So you can have a duty that's based on a court looking at the situation and saying, is it reasonable in the circumstances? Is it reasonably foreseeable that if you don't apply these criteria that somebody will suffer an injury? That's number one. But you can also have a your question, you can have a statutory breach. So in other words, you can have a situation, for example, you've got legislation out there dealing with occupiers' liability. You've got legislation out there dealing with, you know, road authorities and things like that. You know, various statutory Mm -hmm. legislation that deals with it. But this is not legislation. These are guidelines that have been handed down. But come back to, for example the employer-employee situation, mm. in an employer-employee situation, you're supposed to carry out a risk assessment on your premises and on your modus operandi. Mm. So you see, under the health regulations, which is which have been there for quite a considerable amount of time, one of the things we inherited from Europe, it, they introduced this whole safety that you'd be very familiar with when you're talking about construction sites and things like that. That whole safety kind of Model is grounded on a risk assessment being carried out by an employer. So, for example, when they handed out the directive to employers about their place of work, mm. they pointed out to them that they should carry out a risk assessment. Now, they're handing that out by way of a kind of a reminder to you, but in fact, it's something that you're obliged to do anyway. So, if you know if you're looking at a business premises, for example, where you're allowing the public into it. You're supposed to do a risk assessment to ensure that if there are any hazards on the premises that they're identified Mm. and that the members of the public are warned about them. So the long answer to your question is, obviously, each situation will be judged on its facts, which is the good old legal way of saying, well, each case has to be decided on its own merits. But as a general rule, if somebody is going to undertake something like The the example that you were given there on air was, you know, Mm. teaching people to drive, getting into a vehicle, close proximity, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it would be a huge jump to consider that if somebody, by reason of somebody not following reasonable safety protocols, you know, suffers an injury, i.e. gets COVID as a result, that you wouldn't be leaving yourself open uh, to a case by that person. So. That's the yeah. that's so, the short answer. But obviously on the way to the the short answer there's a lot of other factors that you have to take into account. Uh,
1: absolutely. But what what I'm taking from what you're saying to me is that Trudy is doing the right thing. She's waiting until there's oh, yeah. more, more definitive mm. uh, advice mm. and more definitive more regulation out there. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. And the same with all anybody who's opening their business in the next while. I mean, people irrespective of your own personal view about COVID 19, the reality of it is that we are in a situation where it is a recognized danger and hazard. So, if it's a recognized danger and hazard, then whatever your personal opinion about the extent or otherwise that the hazard is irrelevant in the ultimate consideration of whether or not somebody takes an action against you because they suffer an injury as a result of it. And it's, you know, I mean, it's.
1: Right, because it's, you have duty of care, as you said. And
0: you, Yeah, exactly. And you need to be very careful to see. I mean, again, it's a bit like, you know, we were, we've were we been talking about wills for the last while and about contesting with and these and that. And the thing about it is, I often think, again, kind of talking against myself as a lawyer, is that it's very easy to sit and judge a situation and, and consider that there's breach of duty care and then that there is liability there. And that. The, the, difficulty with that is in the day-to-day management of things, that you do take a certain amount of risks Mm -hmm. and you do, you know, you you do take the risk on board if you know that there is a risk uh, and you may not do anything about it, and you may not do anything about it because you think the risk is too minimal, or you may not do anything about it because, you know, you you forgot to do something about it whatever inadvertence or otherwise. But at the end of the day, when it comes in under the microscope of a legal case, then you're into forensics and unfortunately forensics are a lot more harsher on you than you an know, assessment that you make on the go if you know what I'm getting
1: at. I do indeed, yes, and it's a real minefield isn't it? When you mm. spoke to us last week, uh, John, by the time we finished we had a lot of people with questions because mm. we were talking about neighbours and we were talking about you know maybe litigation involved between neighbours and yeah. one thing and another. Yeah, so yeah. several questions into us if you wouldn't mind. Uh, when you asked John, who is liable if neighbors' uh, water leaked onto my property, so if there was a leak that that went well, onto the other person's property,
0: well, on the assumption that it's a serious leak and that you want to do something about it. Hmm. You're dealing with the case of what we call Rylands and Fletcher, gracious one, but I think I did, I, did, I think I did a, I think I a question on that about 30 years ago in my law exam, and it basically is where something spills out off from somebody else's property onto your property, and there's a liability there in, for any damage that's caused, uh, where it's a foreseeable risk, if you know what I mean, that it'll happen, but if you get a burst pipe and that, nothing is done about it. So, but you're also back to your duty care scenario there. But, I mean, again, the burst pipe scenario, you know, where you've got water leaking onto somebody else's property, I mean, a certain amount of uh, leak is going to happen inadvertently without knowing about it. But where you have a situation where there's a leak that you've identified... And that you know about, and you do nothing about as a neighbour, but then you're obliged to something like
1: about it. Right. Okay. I, I'm I'm not sure what uh, you know what that's Sorry, in, again, in, in relation to. Um, yeah. In, in that case, yeah, it could exactly, be a, an agricultural I mean, leak or something very exactly, profound
0: indeed. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. I mean, again, it, it often extends is an important thing. But if it's a minor leak uh, on a neighbour by neighbour basis, you may. The your neighbour, typically like the overhanging tree scenario, or the you know if you're talking about the neighbour with the overhanging tree, I mean the law says that you can't have an overhanging tree on your neighbour's property, and that the neighbour's is entitled to lop it off. But I mean, are you going to you're going to start cutting, you know, within a millimetre of the boundary each and every time? It, it,
1: well, actually, you're preempting the next question, which was: Will you please ask John, uh, can my neighbor let our adjoining hedge grow as high as our house? Yeah,
0: very good question. Uh,
1: I have a neighbor
0: who has a hedge as high as my house. Right. <laughs> well,
1: I'm sure you're perfectly comfortable with that. <laughs>
0: well, were too closely related to have a row. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Oh, I now I know who you're talking about. Okay, right, right. I was worried there for a moment. But anyway, so what about yeah, that no. then, John?
0: Well, that, that's classic. I mean, that is a classic one where you're sitting in your back garden and your neighbour's hedge eventually gets to, to the extent that they interfere with your enjoyment of property, thereby causing a nuisance. And the threat answer to that is that where it, when it gets to that position you're entitled to argue that it should be brought down to a level that it doesn't cause a nuisance. My, that would be my straightforward response to that. Oh, really? And obviously, obviously, you have to balance that with your neighbour and your neighbour, your your interaction with your neighbour
1: too. I think. Mm. And, and you've often made that point, John, that you know a neighbour might be your neighbour for the rest of your life, and right. if you can avoid having grief and hassle, right. it's, it's yeah, a good and thing. And if
0: you can, yeah, and If there, you know, there there are other histories, does it, just not involved going out late at night or anything like that. <laughs> With well, the Clippers. There, yes, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it brings me in mind the case that went by my went by my uh, vision there recently. You know the way I keep an eye on cases, but there was, there was a case in the High Court. It, it just tr- tweaked my interest when I saw it passing. It was uh, a case where Saudi uh, was looking for costs because they got a High Court injunction against somebody, and it was a very straightforward type of scenario insofar as it was an access into a commercial premises and it was a security gate. And the landlord, uh, like when you read through the lines, there was a certain difficulty with rent over a period of time by the tenant. So what the landlord did was he didn't give him the codes. He changed the codes on the gate so the tenant couldn't come in. Mm. And he in the course of the judgment, the judge commented on the fact that he was unimpressed with the fact that when the tenant rang the landlord's agent, uh, the, the landlord's agent said, I'm up in Dublin mountains here, I can't really hear you, is it okay if I ring you back? And uh, there was never a call back, you know what I mean? But uh, you know what was classic, I can't hear you. You're breaking uh,
1: up, you're breaking up. Yeah. yeah, you're
0: breaking up, exactly. But they got, <laughs> they, they issued three letters to the landlord, who instead of Responding to them, literally uh, held a meeting with, the view tuition and with a view to issuing them with an notice to quit because of failure to pay the rent and still didn't let them into premises. So the tenant issued high court proceedings, and the argument was that the costs, whether they get the cost or not, because after all, all it really was, was the boys were trying to argue that it was an in, in, in inadvertence on their part not to give them the goals. But anyway, they lost the high court action and they lost their costs, which probably paid rent for the year by the time they were finished with it. But, uh, again, an interesting neighbour landlord-tenant scenario that really could have been resolved uh, otherwise. Pr-
1: pretty easily easy. as well. Would you take one for me that I think is, yeah. is very relevant altogether oh. and particularly into the future? Mick from Clonmill was on to us and he oh. said, we you asked John about a neighbour installing a bank of cameras that seems to be pointing over the property, my property, and the issue of privacy as a result. This is going to come up, John, quite a bit in the coming years, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, and that and drones. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah somebody with a drone coming over your property, that's a breach of privacy. And uh, quite clearly, if you can prove that it is, uh, you're entitled to get an injunction to restrain them from doing it. Because whatever about putting security cameras on your own property to protect your own privacy, you're not entitled to use them to look into somebody else's backyard, which is a clear breach of privacy as far as I'd be concerned.
1: All right. And the cameras then, because I mean, a certain angle you might want to cover your property might indeed cover your neighbours. Uh...
0: Well, you see, that's, the, that's that's, that's the interesting, like in every, you know, I used to hate doing my exams in law because you used to always be asked questions like this, you know, which were very particular. Luckily, when you were asked to do answer legal questions in your exams, they're all, always based on case law, so you had the advantage of having somebody else have made the decision mm. right. The unfortunate thing about when you're in my position now is that you actually have to do it on the basis of a situation where you may not know, what the ultimate answer is, because Mm. the answer to this is going to be based on, number one, whether you can establish the extent to which the camera looks in on your property. Number two, can you establish the extent to which it's required in order to view the property of your journey owner? And Therein lies the crux of all these things, because in order to make a determination on that, you, you know, you write a letter to the neighbor on behalf of one neighbor. And like when you're getting into that situation, you're in very dangerous territory anyway, from a neighbor perspective, as in neighborliness, if you know what I mean. Mm. It's kind of one that you should be trying to mediate if you can. But again, an awful lot of these situations get to the point where there is no mediation because things have got so bad yeah. vis-a-vis neighbors And when you're in a situation like that, like the straight reality then is you've got to go make a court application seeking an injunction. To seek an injunction, you've got to prove that the cameras are in fact... Uh, invading your privacy. In other words that they're encroaching on to and viewing your property and therefore breaching your entitlement to privacy and not have somebody observing you on your property. And that will come down at the end of the day to hard, cold facts. So if somebody comes in to me and says to me, My neighbour has got cameras looking in on my property and I can see them. They're all, you know, they they they're rotating in my direction. Then you go to your 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 Court hearing, you go to your cost of your court application. You're going into looking for an injunction restraining somebody, and you know what you what you look for in these situations is an order by the court restraining somebody from using cameras in a way that will in, will breach the privacy of their neighbour. It also entitles to damages if there is a breach of privacy. And you're into a continuing nuisance, i.e. if it continues, you're entitled to go in again and again and again if it continues and persists. and But but when you get into a court of law, if somebody comes in, I say, well, you've got to give evidence that in fact that is the case. And you can be reasonably confident uh, that in a number of cases, the opposite evidence is going to be given. So you're going to have to be able to Mm. prove... By using, you know, technology and, and, and an expert who will say, you know, I observed the cameras, you know, I have a close-up of them, I got the angle of them, I looked at it from the Johnny Neighbors property and I can tell you this, this, this and this. And I can tell you these right, cameras so are... A,
1: a lot of complication there.
0: A lot of evidence there, yeah.
1: Know. Is there any existing legislation, though, there, um, John, that would, you know, maybe people need to, to think about when they're putting up these cameras in, in close proximity to another house?
0: Is, is there? I don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, pri- privacy
1: legislation, not, I suppose.
0: Privacy, privacy, by definition, is within is in the law. So when you talk about legislation, you know, as I've said to you, the right to privacy is a constitutional right. And if somebody breaches your constitutional right, you're entitled to damage it. So, uh, the injunction mechanism is there. It's also a tort. You know, sorry, I, I'm using technical terms, but when you're talking about, you know, you've got the criminal law that deals with somebody. For example, you could you could deem it as harassment. You could deem it, you know, as um, you know undue interference with your neighbour. It could be bordering on criminal if it if it gets to the point where it's actually intimidating your mm-hmm. neighbour. And then you're into the criminal legislation, which is there to deal with it in the same way as you've got, you know, somebody sending multiple emails and Mm. ringing repeatedly, et cetera, et cetera. You've got that harassment criminal side. We're talking about the tort side, which is the private uh, litigation side of things. And on the private litigation side of things, you've got constitutional protection for it. But you've also got case law protection for it, i.e. whereby nuisance comes into play. And if somebody is actually, you know, literally causing you a nuisance or interfering with your enjoyment of your property, which is what nuisance is, if something interferes with your enjoyment of property. So obviously, if you're sitting out in the backyard and having a, doing your, your what are you would to be doing today, whether you were doing it over the weekend, you would be doing your, your beer and your mm. what, steak and whatever, and your barbecue, and suddenly you're, you know, you're aware of the fact that somebody's got a camera looking right in to you and the people that you're having your barbecue with. But that's interfering with your enjoyment of property. That represents a nuisance at law. If it represents a nuisance at law, you're entitled, under those circumstances, to make an application to the court to restrain them from doing it, number one, and to claim damages for the breach that, that's involved. God. That's, that's both from a legal point of view as you say, but it's also from a constitutional perspective. The reality of it of course is that you know it, it's at a cost and you can, you can look to your neighbour for both costs, damages and an injunction. But then you've got to look to the practicalities of it. Number one, they're your neighbour uh, so therefore you try everything else other than litigating on it. And number two you've then got to go recover against them. So in other words it's no good getting going to the cost, going into court, getting your orders, getting your injunctions, etc., uh, when you have somebody who isn't going to pay for all of this and who isn't going to comply with the order. Yeah. So then you've got to go down the road of, you know. So the long and the short of it is <clears throat> pick your neighbours, I suppose. Uh, and I don't mean that I've been facetious mm-hmm. in that. But I mean, there have been times down the years, I'd say, I can think of three instances in the last thirty years, which isn't bad I suppose. I can remember three instances when the client came in to me in a situation like that where you're talking with neighboring situations. And in all three instances I said to the client after listening to what that said to me, I said, I think you should move. I think you're in a situation here that is absolutely utterly, you know, unresolvable and under those circumstances, realistically speaking for your mental health for your well-being, and your family, from a cost point of view, etc., etc., moving is probably a
1: better option. In all three cases, they did move. My God, isn't it a shame? It That's has right. to come come down to that. But but as you yeah. say, you know, if it means your mental health and all of that, it's a <laughs> yeah. John. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for your time oh, this morning. Uh, thank you. All Good morning right, to you. you. Bye bye. That's our legal legal John Lynch there from Lynch Solicitors. If it matters to you, it matters to us.
0: Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007.